Good evening. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to another letter from our series, 30 Letters in 30 Days, Letters of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And uh, yes, it is the night of Mikra Megillah, of reading the Megillah. It is the night going into Purim. And I hope that everybody had an easy fast today and has since heard the Megillah and broken their fast. And uh, yes, we're having a shear. And on that note, tomorrow night as well. Yes, tomorrow night is the night of Sudas Purim. The Purim meal traditionally goes from the end of the Purim day and then into the evening coming out of Purim day. And uh, you may be having a Purim meal at that time, which is totally fine. In fact, it's more than fine. It's great. And you'll just watch on archive uh, the next day or later or whenever you can catch up. Uh, but I will be here. <laughs> and uh, not only will I be here tomorrow night, there will be a double shear. The way this is working is 30 letters, 30 days. So we've got to do a class every day. Friday night, we can't do a class because of Shabbos. So Thursday night is Lechem Mishnah. As a double dose, we'll do two letters, and that class will be an hour. It'll really be an hour. It's Lechad Chila from the outset. The Thursday night classes are an hour long. These classes, yes, I keep saying it's 30 minutes and then not exactly getting it all in there in 30 minutes. I think tonight will be... Uh, We'll get a little closer to that half an hour mark because uh, it's a shorter letter. And uh, without further ado, let's jump right into the letter. Okay, get your packets, by the way, at uh, 30days30letters.com or on Amazon, or you can get the PDF on 30letters30days.com as well. Okay, letter number four. This letter is different in a few ways from the letters that we have learned so far. First of all, I believe it's the first letter that's written to a man, right? The first group was written to a group of men and boys, and then the second letter was a woman, and the third letter was woman. Yeah, so this is the first letter that's being written to a man, and it's not just incidental that it's written to a man, the fact that it's a man actually is pertinent to the Rebbe's answer, as we will see. But there's another thing that is different about this letter from the letters that we've learned so far, and I'm going to give you fair warning. The tone of this letter is... I, I don't want to use the word harsh, but it's certainly not sugar-coated. Clearly, there's some issue here, spiritual issue, that the letter writer needs some stern guidance about, and the Rebbe is not holding back from giving that kind of guidance. So I just want to give you a heads up. The tone is admittedly a harsher tone than any of the letters we've read so far, and th th than most of the letters in the Igros Kodesh. Um, but the Rebbe knows his customers, and this is what this person needed, apparently. And, uh, you know, there's a double filter here, because not only did the Rebbe decide to, to write and send this letter to this person, meaning this is what the, this person needed, but then the Rebbe later on decided... Uh, 
to publish this letter as part of Igris Kodesh. So not only did the Rebbe send the letter in uh, 1955, but the Rebbe then approved it for publication a little over 30 years later. So clearly the Rebbe is okay with us learning this and knowing that not all of the letters have a, I'll call it overly uh, sweet tone. Okay. Now, after building that all up with that disclaimer, I, I think maybe you're going to overestimate it. I'm making it bigger than it is. But I just, I wanted you to know that this is admittedly uh, different than the previous letters. Here we go. Baruch Hashem Vav Marcheshven Tov Shin Tesvav. By the grace of God, the sixth day of the month of Marcheshven, Brooklyn. Um, so you, you see this is, we're going in chronological order. This is now in Cheshven. The previous letter we read was at the end of the Tishrei month, but after the high holidays. This is another week after that. So it's after the high holidays. And you'll see from this letter that the Rebbe references in a couple of ways that the high holidays are only just um, a week or two prior to the writing of this letter. Shalom Uvracha. Greetings and blessings. And as we mentioned before, the formulation shalom first and then bracha indicates that the letter is to a man as opposed to bracha and then shalom, where that's the formulation used for writing to a woman. Okay. Higiani michtove vahapan. I received your letter and your pan. What's a letter? A letter is a letter. What's a pan? A pan is a Hebrew acronym. Pei nun. Pidyon Nefesh. And I guess you could call it a letter, but it's much more than a letter. It's a petition for prayer that a chassid writes specifically to a rabbi. It's a very specific type of communication where a chassid is turning to his or her rabbi and asking for the tzaddik to intercede and to pray and to bring down Blessings from Hashem. So this person wrote to the Rebbe a letter describing whatever it was that they were describing, and then in addition, a pawn. Now, as apparent from this letter, we're about to see, the person asked that the pawn should be brought to the oil. I think people should understand that uh, the Rebbe would bring the panim, the, these... these uh, these special communications that are written to a rabbi, to the resting place of his father-in-law in Queens. That's the oil that we all know of as, as the Rebbe's oil. It, it, it was initially uh, the, the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, the, the Rebbe's father-in-law's oil, and then after Gimel Tamas, then the Rebbe was also uh, laid to rest there at, and next to his father-in-law, and that's the same spot the place where the Rebbe's oil is, is the very same spot where the Rebbe himself went to read thousands of these, these communications over, over the years and to pray for on, on behalf of, of all types of Jews from all walks of life. So the person who the Rebbe is writing to right now wrote to the Rebbe a letter, presumably describing some stuff that's going on in life, but also they wrote this very special type of letter called a pan that the Rebbe was then going to bring to the oil, to the resting place of his father-in-law, and, and read over there. Okay. V'nisakif my response was delayed, says the Rebbe, 
מפני הטירדס שנתוספו מפני קדושה סמאית. Because of the distractions or the uh, additional uh, burdens that are coming as a, uh, as a result of the holidays. So I mentioned that the Rebbe is going to reference the fact that we're just coming out of the high holidays. So the Rebbe is saying it was very, very busy during the high holidays, as you can understand. So my response to you was delayed. By the way, just parenthetically, <laughs> you see now how impressive it is, the letters that were written during the high holiday season. We had two letters that were written, Vav Tishrei and Eseres Mechova, and uh, the previous letter we read wasn't written during the high holidays, it was written right after uh, Yom Tov, but still you could, you could imagine that there was still a delay in the workflow in the secretariat, and nevertheless in the previous letter that Rebbe says how he sped up the response. So this just gives us a glimpse of how much backlog there must have been, and uh, it, I think it helps us appreciate a little bit more the letters that the Rebbe did send during that, uh, during that time. At any rate, so the Rebbe says, your, your response is a little bit delayed because we just had the high holidays. According to your request, I'm going to read the pond that you sent me at the holy resting place. That is the full and formal, respectful title referring to the Rebbe's Rebbe, the previous Rebbe. So the Rebbe says, I'm going to read the pan that you wrote. I'm going to read it at the oil, at the resting place of my father-in-law. Okay. Now, regarding your pan, your request for blessing, as well as your letter, regarding both of those things. You have to explain to your wife and also to yourself. <laughs> explain to your wife and explain to yourself. And as you're going to see from this letter, that explain to yourself line is, is very important. Because the Rebbe is going to explain to this person that it's, it's his own lack of clarity about a certain issue that's causing him, in turn, not to be able to explain it convincingly to his wife. So the Rebbe says, explain to your wife and, and to yourself, explain to your wife and to yourself, and this is, this is admittedly a very harsh term, that ultimately it is impossible to jump between branches. That's an idiom, that's a phrase that has scriptural origin. It's a story of Elisha rebuking the people who are following the Baal worshippers. People at that time, they would worship idols when it was convenient, and then they would flip-flop and they would worship Hashem, Lahavdil, when that was convenient, and uh, Elisha rebukes them, Eliyahu, I'm sorry, that uh, Eliyahu rebukes them, and he tells them, how long, until when, are you going to jump from branch to branch? 
Meaning, how long will you vacillate? You got to make up your mind. You got to make up your mind. Pick a team. Choose a side. Now, admittedly, these are harsh words. This is what the prophet is telling Klal Yisrael about jumping between serving Hashem and serving idols. The Rebbe is telling this person, you got to make up your mind. Okay, clarity is of the utmost importance here. Your own clarity. And the Rebbe is going to proceed to explain how that lack of clarity is causing a vicious cycle. Okay, so you got to make up your mind. You're going to have to decide, make a decision. Are you trying to conduct yourselves in ways that will impress your neighbors? Or do you want to set up your house in a way that will find favor in the eyes of my father-in-law, the Rebbe? Because you can't do both. You can't do both. You're trying to impress the neighbors. You're trying to get that the neighbors should think that you're cool. And you're trying to please the Rebbe. You can't do both. You're going to have to pick one or the other. You know, during this era, 19, the 1950s, there was, a, there was a lot going on as far as assimilation, even within the Orthodox and very uh, Hasidic community. And the, the lure of assimilation and in, 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 in modernity at that time was really uh, insidious in many ways, especially compared to the very overt oppression, anti-Semitism, and, 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 and brutality that many Jews had either themselves experienced in the recent past or their, their parents and grandparents. So now you're in sort of an open society and uh, there's social pressure. And a lot of letters from this era, it <laughs> sounds like our era, are dealing with this adult peer pressure. You know, it's not just kids and teenagers who have peer pressure. Adults also <laughs> can succumb to peer pressure. So the Rebbe is saying, it, you, you can't have both. You're going to have to decide what's, what's your goal here. Whose standards are you trying to keep, the neighbors or the Rebbe? And then the Rebbe says something. You want to keep your neighbor's standards or the Rebbe's standards? And then adds... And the Rebbe, Asher al Shaloi Nikroim Apan. The Rebbe, upon whose resting place you want me to read this petition for prayer. In other words, you're asking me to get brachas from the Rebbe on your behalf, but your relationship with the Rebbe right now is not one that's 100% committed, and that's causing a problem. Ukvar Yadua, it is known already. Piskum, the saying, the aphorism of Kveid Kedushis Admar Marash, Nishmose Eden. The Rebbe Marash, the fourth Rebbe of Chabad, Rav Shmuel, the youngest son of the Tzemach Tzadik. There's a saying from the Rebbe Marash, Huva Bemichtav Kveid Kedushis made of Echomi Admor. And this saying of the Rebbe Marash was preserved in a letter of the Friedrich Rebbe, of the previous Rebbe. And what is this saying? The Rebbe here says it in the original Yiddish. Du willst, as Hashem Yisborech zol mich yefolgen. You want that Hashem 
should listen to me. Und du willst mich nicht folgen? But you don't want to listen to me? And it is superfluous to dwell upon that. Very interesting. <laughs> the Rebbe Marash told the Chassid, hold on a second, what are you trying to get from me right now? Yes, there's a concept called Tzadik Goizev HaKadosh Baruch It says in the Gemara and Tainus, there's an idea that a Tzadik decrees and Hashem listens. Hashem will fulfill the requests of the tzaddik. So basically, Rebbe Marash was telling a chassid, so you want me to cash that in and tell Hashem, you want me to be goyzer, you want me to make a decree and say to Hashem what Hashem should do in giving you a certain blessing. But hold on a second. You want Hashem should listen to me, but you don't want to listen to me? Hashem should listen to me, but you don't want to listen to me? You don't want to do what I'm telling you to do? I want to clarify this. This is not, God forbid, an issue of quid pro quo or a tit-for-tat, where the Rebbe is saying, look, you got you to gotta give something to get something, right? Let's trade, let's barter. That's not at all what it is. I want to clarify. The Rebbe is essentially saying to this chassid, and I guess to all of us, I'm as powerful as you make me. You don't want to listen to me, okay? So I guess that's, that's how powerful I am then how can I turn around and tell Hashem to give you blessings? I can't. So you have to choose, as the chassid, you have to choose what the nature of my role is. And by not listening to me, you're making it pretty clear what my role is, at least in this immediate context. And you're making it hard for me, if not impossible, I don't want to use the word impossible, but you're making it hard for me to help you. So again, it's not quid pro quo, let's, you know, you, you do what I want you to do and then I'll, I'll give you what you want, I'll go daven for you. The Rebbe is saying, you're not letting me help you. You, you. you have to empower me here and then I can do what you need. Okay, so then the Rebbe goes on to explain why he's not going to elaborate on this idea. Ki mamonavshach, because either way, if you want to understand this really simple concept, then what I already told you should be enough. It is enough. But if you don't want to understand, for whatever reason, there's the, uh, what do you call it, cognitive dissonance. You don't want to understand what I'm saying. Then expounding on it's not going to help. Okay. Now an interesting part. I told you that the letter is written to a man and that it's pertinent that it's written to a man. That actually is uh, specific to the Rebbe's answer, that the Rebbe is writing to a husband. Let's, let's see. The Rebbe says, I told this to somebody else. I wrote this to somebody else. In other words... <laughs> This is not the only person who the Rebbe is dealing with who's having this struggle. Let's say it like that. So the Rebbe says, I told somebody else this. The answer or the excuse, I didn't write it, but rather so-and-so wrote it. That expression, by the way, is from the Gemara. It's a Gemara in Bova Basra. It's actually, <laughs> a Chassid would say, it's Pereglamet of Tanya. 
in Peniglamet of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe mentions uh, an example of of Avak Loshen Hara. And uh, he brings the story from Bava uh, Basra where uh, the, uh, there was a document, a legal document that was written not 100% correctly. And uh, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi, asked uh, his son, Rabbi Shimon, like, what happened here? So he didn't say, like, oh, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Chaita was the one who wrote it. He didn't say, oh, it's all Rabbi Yehuda Chaita's fault. Uh, go yell at him. He just said, I didn't write it. I'm not the one who wrote it. Yehuda Chaita, Judah the tailor wrote it. Just, you know, I'm not the guy. You're talking to me, but I'm not the guy who wrote it. And uh, Rabbi told his son that, uh, you know what? Enough slander. You know, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to slander uh, Judah the tailor. At any rate, so the Rebbe is using that phrase from that uh, Gemara and saying, you're going to tell me, I didn't write it. What does he mean? You're going to see from context as we continue, but the Rebbe is saying, I told this to somebody else and now I'm telling it to you. Don't tell me that the things that you're telling me are not really what you want, it's what your wife wants. That's what the Rebbe is saying. You're going to see very clearly from context in a minute that the guy said, it's not me, it's not me, it's my wife. <laughs> it's not me, it's Judah the tailor. It's not me, it's my wife. Okay, so the Rebbe says, regarding guys who are writing to me, because like I said, it was more than one person, uh, who, regarding these guys who are writing to me nowadays and telling me that they're not keeping certain standards because their wives won't let them, okay? So I want to talk about that. And let's see how the Rebbe answers. And I also want to just insert here an assumption, but I think it's important uh, for context. It's fairly clear to me, and I'm, I have no way of being certain of this, but I think it's a fair assumption. The person that I was writing to is a chassid, most probably from a long line of chassidim. This isn't somebody who's unfamiliar with Hasidic ways and standards or with the Rebbe Chassid relationship. This isn't somebody who wasn't raised with this. The Rebbe is speaking to somebody who knows better and is becoming lax and, use, and using the excuse, and the Rebbe definitely considers it an excuse, that my wife is the one who's dragging down our standards. Okay, and the Rebbe is not accepting that excuse. Let, let's continue here. So uh, you're going to tell me you didn't write it, but someone else wrote it. tali isha, and that it's the wife's fault. It's all her. So listen to what the Rebbe says. Again, the validation. The Rebbe doesn't say it's not true. Your wife didn't say the things that you say that she said. No, the Rebbe just accepts it. Okay, fine. Fine, you're only reporting to me what your wife has said. No problem. But I want to tell you something. Our sages have, and this is a strong word, posku means they, they ruled, not just they said it, but they said it as a, as a ruling, that this is the reality. That what? That words that come from the heart go into the heart. We have a guarantee that that is the way reality works. If you speak earnestly and sincerely, your message will be heard. So the Rebbe is saying, okay, maybe it's true. 
on a superficial level, that your wife is the one who's slowing you down and saying that uh, she wants to keep lower standards. But here's, here's, here's what I want to suggest to you. I don't think it's possible that you've spoken sincerely to her about it, because if you would have, I think the situation would be completely different. In fact, the opposite, the opposite that I was about to say, that if you would have spoken sincerely to your wife, instead of using your wife as your get out of jail free card or your excuse, then you'd be in a completely different situation right now. Watch this. If the wives, and the Rebbe says it plural, because I said it, it's somewhat endemic, that if the wives wouldn't sense that their husbands have a weak position, meaning you're lacking confidence. Remember I told you at the beginning of the letter, the whole thing that I was saying is about clarity and your lack of clarity is causing a vicious cycle because your lack of clarity is causing your wife's lack of clarity, which is causing her to be uncomfortable with the higher standards. And then you're taking that as an easy out and you're going down in standards and then you're justifying it and then you're lacking clarity and the whole vicious cycle. So if the wives wouldn't sense that the husbands are weak in their own convictions, not only would they, the wives, not oppose good things, they would help you. Don't tell me your wife's against it. Your wife is potentially your greatest helper. The Rebbe doesn't say it here, but Ezer Kenegdoi, that's the first wife, Chava, was appointed to be an Ezer Kenegdoi, to be a helper. And the Rebbe would always speak about how a wife is a helper. She's there to lift you up. She's there to support you. So you're coming and telling me that your wife's dragging you down. Something ain't right. There's definitely something that's... that's out of order here if your wife's pulling you back. And in this case, and again, I want to make clear the context here, who that I was speaking to, because I know many, many stories where you have like a couple who become observant later in life while they're both adults, and one starts getting observant faster than the other. Sometimes the wife gets uh, you know, turned on quicker. She's more uh, throwing herself into uh, Yiddishkeit, Nechsidishkeit, and the husband is trailing. Sometimes it's the husband who's... Uh, who's running far up ahead and the, and the wife is warming up more slowly. And I'm and, and not talking about cases like that, where for Shalom Bias, it's very, very important to be patient and to be respectful about the other person's, uh, call it their, uh, their uh, rate of growth. But here we're talking about a Hasidic family. We're talking about a husband and a wife who know better and really they should be doing better. And, and, and the Rebbe is saying to this husband, I want to tell you something. You're using your wife as the excuse why you're trailing behind. Speak to her passionately, but you got to believe it first. You got to believe it first. And then when you speak to her passionately, she's going to be your biggest supporter. You'll see, she's going to push you. But you got to speak to her with sincerity, which means first you've got to get your clarity. All right, let's finish here. Now, another point. I enjoyed, I liked that you related to the guy in the story in the Sicha that I told about somebody having a vision in a dream. Okay, what's this talking about? Remember, this is right after the high holidays. So a couple of weeks before, on Simchas Torah, the same year, 
Tavshin Tesvav. The Rebbe said in a Sicha and Simchas Torah a story about how once upon a time, in order to see the Rebbe in a dream, took incredible preparation and purification on the part of the Chassid. Told, tell, the Rebbe tells a story there about the Chassid Rebbe Zalman Zlatopolsky, who was a Chassid of the Rebbe Maharash. Oh, we mentioned the Rebbe Maharash earlier in this letter. And after the Histalkus, the passing of the Rebbe Maharash, he was missing him and he wanted to speak to him. And he told the Rebbe Maharash's son and successor, the Rebbe Rashab, that he had this desire. And the Rebbe Rashab helped him to come up with a a sort of program, a spiritual program, how to prepare himself to earn this ability to see uh, the Rebbe Marash come to him in a dream. So the Rebbe says this and juxtaposes it with the fact that recently, I'm, I'm guessing in 1955, meaning right at that time, the Rebbe says there was a younger man, a chassid, who the, the Rebbe, the Rebbe means his father-in-law, the Rebbe, had asked him to do something and he didn't do it until finally the... The Rebbe, meaning the Rebbe's Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, came to this guy in a dream and said, hey, what, what about that thing that I asked you to do? So, I mean, this is 1955. This is five years after Yud Shvat, after the Histalkus, the passing of the, of the Friedrich Rebbe. So, basically, the Rebbe tells a story about someone contemporaneous to that telling of the story who had had the Friedrich Rebbe appear to him in a dream. And then I was juxtaposing that with, you know, once upon a time, a chassid had to really, really work in order to merit that the Rebbe should come speak to him in a dream. And nowadays, look, the Rebbe is coming to people just to deal with, unfortunately, negative business where they're not doing what they ought to do. <laughs> so, uh, and, and the Rebbe even says there in that sicha that, you know... If the Rebbe was going to come to him in a dream, it could have been in a good way. Why did it have to be like in an embarrassing way where he's being called out for, for not doing what he's supposed to be doing? At any rate, the Rebbe said this in the Sicha a couple weeks prior to this letter. I guess the guy, when he wrote to the Rebbe, said, yeah, I relate to that. <laughs> I relate to that guy who wasn't doing what the Rebbe told him to do. And the Rebbe says, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that you took it personally, <laughs> that you identified with, I guess, you know, it's sad that he's identifying with something negative, but you know what? We see here that the main thing is take it personally. You heard a story in a sicha and you took it to heart. You said, hey, that sounds like me. That could be me. I can see myself in that story. Great. That's great. The Rebbe says, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I had hana. Okay. Virotzein shetavei hiseridus nekudes hatomim shabai the shinui bepoil the... This is very hard to translate. The kudas hatamim. You know, there's an expression, a pintala yid, the little spark, the essence of Yiddishkeit that's in every single Jew equally. Even someone who's outwardly not observant, they have that pintala yid, that core Jewish identity, the yechidish benefesh, which just needs to be activated and brought out. So this is not the nekudas hayadus, this is nekudas hatamim. Atamim is the name given by the Rebbe Rashab to the, the, the Bachem, the students of the yeshiva which he founded. He founded a yeshiva called Temchet Temimim, which was the, the yeshiva in Lubavitch and then had satellite yeshivas elsewhere in, uh, in Eastern Europe and, and, and now all over the world. But the name of the students or the, the appellation for students of Temchet Temimim is Temimim. And uh, that, that's, that's plural. The singular is Tomim. So the Rebbe says, you learned in Temke Tamimim, you learned in the Lubavitch Yeshiva. So you're a Tamim. 
And this is a thing you see, by the way, anyone who learned in Tehmi Chetimim, um, even if they only learned for a time, and maybe they didn't even come from a Lubavitcher background, and they, they drifted through the Lubavitcher system, and then maybe they drifted away from it. There are many videos, actually, of people coming to the Rebbe during dollars who were not, at least outwardly, still Chabad, and uh, the Rebbe would remind them, once a Tamim, always a Tamim. If you were a Tamim, if you studied in Tehim Chetimimim, that's your identity, and that's always going to be with you. So the Rebbe says here, I'm hoping that the Nekudas HaTamim within you will, will get aroused and will cause you to make some good changes. V'yidua Psak Rezal, and it's known, the ruling of our sages. When the Rebbe says a ruling, he means this is reality. This is reality. If Torah says this as a ruling, that means this is how the reality is. What's the reality? That a woman is like her husband. Literally, she is the same body as her husband. A wife and her husband are one entity. So <laughs> the Rebbe is saying, if your Nekudas Atomim comes out, you and your wife are one entity. Then the parallel inspiration within her will come out as well and then not only you won't be using her as the excuse for why you're dragging in your standards but she's going to be your greatest advocate and supporter and cheerleader bivracha with blessing and that's the end of the letter and i'm ending somewhat ish on time good night <laughs>